The Trek Files, Season 7, Episode 4, Star Trek Conventions, Early 1970s. Welcome to The Trek Files, a look into the archives of Roddenberry Entertainment from the personal files of Gene Roddenberry. And now your host, Dr. Trek, Larry Nemechek. Well, welcome back, Star Trek fans. Hey, especially today, you Star Trek historians. Are you canonistas? Yes, yes. Say, I'm saying that lovingly. Basically, all your Trekophiles spelled with an F. We are really, really getting to some history that... Um, uh, people know about, but we need more. We need more on-the-scene witnesses, and that's exactly who we've got as our guest today. That's exactly what the documents that we're showing you this week are. So take a look at our page, facebook.com/slash/thetrekfiles. You, you veteran trekophiles know to do this, but if you are catching us for the first time, you can find our digital homework of the week <laughs> right on our Facebook page. But hey, we will have an audio sample here. Take a listen to that. But stick with me. I'm going to be right back with this week's guest who is now a familiar voice to the Trek Files. We're going to dive into um, into some of the more nuance of that l- glorious but very Wild West era of Star Trek. The first era, <laughs> the 70s, and the explosion of, of uh, the fan conventions. Hey, I've said too much already. Take a listen. I'll be right back. Heesh, master of ceremonies. Heesh is one of the nation's most promising new entertainers. He has appeared on Geraldo Rivera's Goodnight America, The Joe Franklin Show, and numerous radio and cable TV programs around the country. That's right, fans. We're welcoming back to the Trek Files. <gasps> Heesh! Wait, you're saying Dr. Trek who's Heesh? Well, <laughs> he's just actually our friend that we met at our last episode. Hey, it's Stephen Lance. Okay, I we've we've talked. He's an author. He's an actor. He's a sound department professional. He's a post production sound supervisor at Bulletproof Sound Design in New Jersey. We just talked about him being an extra in the rec deck scene for the motion picture. But I want to talk about how you cross paths with Jimmy doing enough to where he would have you be his invite to be a rec room extra. Uh, this this career of being the 70s MC host as things are kind of burgeoning and blowing up, um, uh, how did that happen? How did that come about? Hi, uh, thank you, and good to speak with you again both. Uh, it's so neat to say welcome back. It, it sounds like, like I really am. It's like Steve Martin said in the church. This is the kind the of... The residuals are going to start piling up. Right, this is the kind of instantaneous gonna... publicity that really makes you someone. Uh, so thank you for that. <laughs> uh, I, I started out hosting the conventions, and, and I had an affinity for, for Jimmy because I, I loved his character on Star Trek. So that alone lets you kind of lean into that when, right. when you have a break. Who am I going to talk to? And I was, so you were a fan before you started doing this hosting gig, huh? I was a kid watching Star Trek with you growing up, and and the fact that I wound up doing this professionally is is an impossible story about being in the right place at the right time and when i got to meet jimmy and become friends with him 
we would speak during breaks. He was just terrific. I loved him dearly. Miss him. But I mean, I mean, so so being, I'm. This is the Oki in me saying this. Being back east in the tri-state area, no. you were at the first Star Trek convention, right, in '72. Well, was it? it no, the 1972 convention was the that was the original convention with mm-hmm. uh, Al Schuster, uh, Joan Winston, who they called the committee. They then, at that time, in 72, I was in... And Joan Winston wrote her book about... Right, that's what she wrote the book about. The making of the Trek convention. I wasn't involved in that. But what happened was they... I was... A friend of mine and I went to another convention called Lunacon back then. And Lunacon had a flyer for a thing called Star Trek convention coming up next year. Lunacon being an example of an old school lit con. Yeah. Right. It's a sci-fi con. It was a sci-fi which had been con. around for years. It was a sci-fi. But it was all about, yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually a little bit of a sneerage <laughs> looking at the burgeoning Star Trek world. I mean, there was a little bit of... There is. And, and, and not, yeah, not, yeah. not unlike things maybe that happen at Comic-Con now. It was, it was, it was mm-hmm, a really mm-hmm. interesting convention. So we said there's a Star Trek convention coming up and we made sure that we went to that. And that was 1973, so that would have been the second one that the committee was produced. Right, right. And at, at that convention, they had a costume ball and, and I, I wasn't into the show and the fact that I, I didn't come dressed in a, in a Star Trek garb. I, I went to a private high school, Ranny School in New Jersey. I came dressed in my blue blazer and gray slacks and a tie. And, and everybody else was dressed, you know, like Andorians or Vulcans or, and, and, I, and, and I just, I did. Or jeans and t-shirts. Or jeans and fans. t-shirts. I just didn't fit in. Yeah. So my friend Barry around, we used to sit around a lunch table and I, I'd throw out these goofy lines from the show, like, Mr. Scott, I need you to give me more power. I can't give any more power. The engines are going to blow some, you know, and I would just kid around like that at the lunch table. And Barry said, Steve, why don't you enter the talent show and do that thing you do around lunch? So at the time, I had no real routine. I just made up stuff based on, on what I had done at high school, lunch table, and just made things up. And the audience responded by laughing. So then I just kept, kept making up more things. What happened was I get off stage and go, I won. You know, and I go to- At the 73 talent show. The 73 show. talent show. I like, won yeah, this thing. For the I, I know it. I had the audience in the palm of my hand. And I go out, Elise Rosenstein, if you've spoken to her, mm-hmm. no, Elise was in charge of, of that function at the convention. And I said, Elisa, I, I won, right? She says, well, we're going to have to disqualify you. I said, but, but I was killing out there. What, what do you mean? She said, well, there's a three-minute time limit, and you went six minutes. So if we gave you the award, there'd be pandemonium in the house because you, you actually went over time. I said, well, why did you stop me? And she said, well, because you were killing out there. What do you mean? She says, the rest of the the people, they were terrible. And and you were the only one that was really entertaining them. And we wanted, they're paying a lot of money. I mean, 25 bucks, you know, to go to the convention. And and we wanted them to uh, to be Yeah, a lot of bucks. Yeah, a lot of money back in 1973. So, so what happened when you weren't announced? Did they did they revolt and pandemonium break out? When no, you no, 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 no. You know, I don't remember that. I remember, you know how when your leg falls asleep sometimes if you're sitting in the chair wrong? Being on yeah. being on that stage, and I had done other stage stuff before that. My dad did magic and I was in magic shows with dad as a, as a stooge. But my whole body felt that same needles and pins that you feel when your leg falls asleep. I was numb. You know, when they were laughing, I didn't hear them laugh. It was the TV echoey. Uh-huh. You were your own special effect. In the special so, effects, so, okay. slow motion. 
So, Steve, how did you transform this killer loser moment into what happened later? Well, I didn't. I, I begged her to let me be on. She said, we can't we can't give you the prize. But how would you like to be on the program next year? This being 74. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, that'd be cool. Do I get to wear a ribbon? I, I, I was so excited to be able to wear a ribbon and say, yes, you know. A guest and, ribbon, and yeah. The, we're not talking about ribbons in your hair. Right, right. Yes, for, for all of our younger fans. Younger yeah, fans. badges and ribbons. A little, yeah. you, they pin it on you, and it, it's got a little, you know, straight down, and it's, it's got a flag on the bottom, and it says guest, and I really wanted one. What I learned, that the higher up you get the scale, the less you need the ribbon. So then after I had gotten the show with the ribbon, my goal was to get a higher position where I didn't need a ribbon. Anyway. So they just knew you. They just yeah, knew people just they knew would just know me, right? right? So right. I said, that's great. Are you going to pay me anything? She says, well, no, but we'll put you up in the hotel. And I said, I'll do it. You know, I'm, I'm in college at this time. So I said, great. Two weeks before the show, I was supposed to do a Joe Franklin show. And anybody who's seen Ghostbusters know that Joe Franklin interviewed the Ghostbusters and asked if they had seen Elvis lately and what was he doing? And I was on that that Joe Franklin. He was notorious. For, and for everyone who hasn't seen Ghostbusters, it's been a while. Joe Franklin was a local New York City TV talk show host. Yeah. Yeah. So I was yeah, on. That le- leaned into the controversial or just was. No, no. He place. just. Joe had everybody on who was in show business, might be in show business, could be in show business. So that when they got famous. Used to be. He could say, I, I had Barbara Streisand on when she was the, she was the first one on my show. And, and he, that's why Joe did the show that way. So anyway, I'm, I'm ready to do the Joe Franklin show. There's about two weeks to go to the convention, so I'm going to promote the convention, and I'm going to be doing the stand-up comedy, and I'm so excited. And and the calls from from Al Schuster, he said, uh, "Steve, we we got to uh, we got to make a change." I said, well, "What do you what do you mean, Al?" He says, uh, I, "I said because the deal that I made was that I'm going to be in the big room. I didn't want to be in one of the side rooms. I wanted to be in the in the big mm-hmm. ballroom, and I wanted to be introduced by the master of ceremonies because that's where you get the most." publicity of most things. I mean, I knew right. something about to do your promoting sta- my career. Yes. So I so to do your stand up, do my stand up. But I, I didn't piece. want to be in one stand of the up. side rooms where they had the art show. You know, I wanted to be on the big right. stage with the big one right. and introduced right. by the master. And, 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 and Al Schuster says, so Steve, we're going to have to make a change. Uh, what do you mean? He says, uh, you're not going to be introduced by the master ceremonies. I said, what do you mean? Al? We, we promised. He's wait, 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 wait. You're not going to be introduced by the master ceremonies because he quit. And we don't have anybody to host the show. We all thought you were pretty funny. We want you to be the MC of the show. We'll pay you and all that. And then that's how it happened, only by accident. So I became the host of that show, and I guess I did okay. take. And and the and the MC who quit was Chris Rush. Oh, okay. And Chris okay. Rush, the reason he was asked to host the show, and I don't know why he quit. Either a conflict of interest, or didn't want to be associated with us. <laughs> I don't know. But on his early one of his early comedy records chris has a star trek parody routine not not unlike if we so that's why he apparently was asked to do the show and for whatever reason scheduling or maybe he just said he bailed for whatever reasons happened i don't know i never talked to him and I'm well speak, no no i just i knew because i knew alan ashman was always also emceeing and people know alan ashman from early work yeah i became the friendly were outside the new york fan. yeah i became friendly with alan but i don't know that he was sh- going to be the host of that convention well, no, no, no. I mean, in the in the mix, in the gene pool of people who were hosting events at that time yes. in things, Alan Ashman yeah. was that. So, but you mentioned a comedy record that Chris Rush had. The document this week, I guess that's you. We have to know, wh- what is Heesh? Where did Heesh come from? And 
is that the same heesh that's on this little 45 single record that I bought oh so many years ago, which was the thing that told me about the... F I never noticed Shatner's speaking style until I heard your 45 <laughs> record, If We, and I went, oh, he's making fun of Shatner pausing between words. Is that a thing? I guess that's a thing. And, and bingo, I was set up for 50 years of hearing everybody make jokes about Shatner's you know, pausality there on his speaking I am, style. I am so, well, what's the story of that? I am so flattered. Your record in this name. I'm, I'm so huh? flattered. And and don't, don't, this is just, just you and I, right? So, yeah. You know, Yo, go, yeah, no, yeah. So I whatever, don't, whatever. My, my legal birth name was Stephen Lance Hirsch. And I don't tell anybody that. When I went to college, okay. the last name Hirsch got misspelled to each. By no surprise, I was involved in the talent shows at school and college and got to host those shows. And some of the acts there also weren't pulling their weight. And those people that were on my dorm wing that knew me and used to make fun of the fact that my name had gotten misspelled would say, you know, we want heesh, we want heesh. So now from, from four or five, you know, loud mouth, you know, jocks from my floor, <laughs> 300 people in the audience at college all heard me be called heesh. So they all called me heesh, introduced me to their friends as heesh. And I decided, mm. you know, there's a couple, Sabu was it? And the rest, as they say, was his. The rest was, look, yes. I, Sabu used a single name, you know, he, he was in, you know, that, that movie. Uh, Superman uses a single name, God, you know, they all use like single names. So I thought, Okay. Share Beyonce to update it a bit. Yes. <laughs> so I thought, what the heck? I'm going to be each. That's who I was. So I, that's how that happened. So it was a misspelling my name. Later on, I decided I didn't like that name and I didn't like my legal name. And I actually went to court. And it's not as easy, by the way, in New Jersey as Chicago or Los Angeles to change one's name. Uh, if, you're, if you're getting married and you need to change it for marriage reasons, that it's standard practice. But I had to go to court and explain my story. The judge had a son who was an actor and got it and, and approved the name change, which was really a name short from Stephen Lance Hirsch to Stephen Lance. And I've been Stephen mm -hmm. Lance legally ever since. But I know nobody in Hollywood has ever changed their name. So it's kind of a big deal, I guess. I was going to say that was a very far-sighted East Coast judge there to uh, to do. So, our, I mean, our documents this week are, are program books. So the, the first one that you actually... MC that was, I mean, we've got the, um, now the International Star Trek Convention, again, this could take, <laughs> this could be a 10 volume uh, encyclopedia set about, but I want to, I want to at least touch on it because we all know people have become aware of the first Star Trek convention and the committee and, and Joni Winston's book, at least. And the fact that actually the first convention was a little library event that happened in New Jersey before the first convention. So there's our asterisk. But it's like the minute Star Trek hit, got big, had so many thousands, it wasn't just the fact that that kind of re-propelled the movie idea, the movie comeback, Gene gets a contract. It's that uh, the, the tech manual, Franz Joseph's tech manual gets a contract and is on the bestseller list for 12, 16 weeks. But the fact that this convention for 500 people and gets 3,000, uh, and the fact that now it begats another one, begats another one, Suddenly, this has gone from the, the little startup Wonderkin story to, oh, look, here's something I know modern fandom has no idea about, politics and fan factions and money versus purity and right. all of that. And that's kind of, um, and you were right in the crosshairs of that. Good old innocent heesh here just trying to entertain you know, folks. You, know, you don't realize, you know, when you look back at history, people who are making history, 
you don't realize that you're making history at the time. I wanted to be in show business. Here was an opportunity to get my name out there. And it was a job. And and I I did do the comedy routine at the 73 convention. Got to host the fourth. It was the fourth annual Al Schuster, because I guess he had his name on the other one. So this is the fourth annual internet, Al Schuster's fourth annual international Star Trek convention. That was 1974, the first one I hosted. Al did one more convention after that, 1975, which was just called the International Star Trek Convention. It didn't use his name, although he was the chairman of that. And I and I did the 75 convention. At the same time, there was another 75 convention, which I had nothing to do with. And then at that point, the committee, which was already breaking up, I guess they broke up completely our split. There was a, a schism and they went mm-hmm. separate ways and had their own cons. Uh, John Townsley and his TriStar Industries really took over the New York City Convention. Uh, even though other ones were held, those were the real ones. Those were the big ones. And I worked for every TriStar Convention that John did. Usually they were holiday weekends. So we talking about three-day weekends, sometimes four-day conventions. Uh, and they went on through 1981, and I did every convention, sometimes twice a year, sometimes twice a year. Yeah. But it's it's really fun to look back and see how out of that first spark that we all love to go back to and see, and and you know, oh, look, it's getting attention, and TV Guide does the story, and and it really brought Star. First, it's all those crazy Star Trek kids, and and the lawyers and the doctors and the accountants are still staying in the closet a bit. <laughs> But it, it's all that explosion, and, and it's the schism with the LitCon world, where they said, you guys really either need to read your basic sci-fi, or why don't you go off and have your own Trekkie-Con, when they threatened to take over all the old-school conventions. And they did, and, and that's where we came from. But within two or three years, the phenomenon, you know, the good side, the bad side, is that now we've got people, you know, there's different camps. And Al Schuster, who did Dealers, who was with the committee, Con, he's leaning into, let's do this as a business. The committee folks, Joni's gang and uh, Elisa's gang, were all into, you know, let's just have it be for fun and we're not trying to Well, you saw, you ever see a movie called The The, Jerk with Steve Martin? And remember remember when he was at the carnival and he's trying to give away the prizes and and he's told by the the carnival guy that that he's working for, you know, don't worry about giving away the Arisa. I gave away two racers and three rulers and he said, this is a for profit. He says, oh, it's a profit thing. And that's when it changed, when they saw it wasn't just for fans, mm-hmm. but that they could make money out of it. Not that, not that that's a bad thing, but when they saw right. they, they could make, you know, legitimate money doing, doing this wonderful thing called a convention to, to invite and, and have all these fans come out and enjoy meeting, talking to their, their, their heroes. Uh, it became, it became a business where when Jones started, it was not a business. It was just a love. So the cons ran their course and you went on with, you got a life, yeah. <laughs> obviously, yeah. right? Uh, very and, good uh, reference. I'm very friendly with, with Bob Elliott and Chris Elliott's dad was. <laughs> well, I, I just remember watching that sketch on the 1986 uh, Saturday Night Live with, that begat that phrase with Shatner guesting. And I remember looking at the audience going, where are all the middle-aged women in that audience? It's all teenage boys. What What's the deal? Yeah, Phil Hartman. But no, I mean, like, yeah, you, you, you kept on. And you made a point, though, about using Heesh as a stage name. You had some regrets because you've, you know, maybe... The fact that we're doing this now, the fact that you've been doing some interviewing and, and you, you know, it's it's um, 
it's a it, you're a you're a chapter, Steve, in all of this. Well, thank you, uh, and much much more, and so many backstage stories. Obviously, it led to your your friendship with Jimmy that got you under the rec uh, the rec deck there in the motion picture. But um, I you know looking looking back at that now, because here's the thing, I think it's encapsulated. When you did that scene with the motion picture, you had been doing some acting around. You were a yes. doctor. You were on camera yes. in Woody Allen's Stardust Memories. Right. And what your you said your mother said just oh that's so funny I had, I had I actually I did Star Trek first, and then I did the Woody Allen film Stardust Memories. But my mom, <laughs> who grew up in Brooklyn, would not tell anyone that that's you know that I was an alien. Her son. Her son. Her son <laughs> was an alien in Star Trek. She she would say. Oh, you have to see this Woody Allen movie, Stevie's the Doctor. By the way, mom doesn't talk that way. It's just, it's a way for you to understand my voice to my mom. But yeah, so she liked that I was a doctor. My sister, by the way, my younger sister, went to medical school and became a doctor, an OBGYN. I said, well, there you go, mom, the, the son you never had. You know, so. <laughs> and, in, and instead, she feels like it's the alien that she doesn't wish she had. Right, but no, right, right. I, she wants to be proud of her son. I kid, I kid, I kid. Well, this is I, we we mentioned your book. Um, um, what tell tell us again the story of the of the book real quick uh, well, and how it, it's available. Well, the, the, it's not available. I mean, you can get it used. It's called written out of television. But it was oh, any book is available. Right. Steve. It was, but I but it, I don't get a cent for it. it what I'm saying is out of right. But the right. book is called written out of television. It's, I'm really proud of the work because it talks about actors and actresses that were in TV shows and got replaced. Something that I was always fascinated with watching TV. One week, there's the Lone Ranger played by Clayton Moore, and the next week, there's a different Lone Ranger. He had a mask on, who knew? Well, I'm a voice aficionado expert now, and I knew that it wasn't Clayton Moore's voice. Lois Lane got changed on The Adventures of Superman from Phyllis Coates to Noel Neal, and mm -hmm. I said, I wonder how many times this happens. I'll write a little book. Well, it turned out to be a coffee table size book. And yeah. Darren York, Dick Sargent. I mean, hey, yeah. Sergeant York. Yeah. <laughs> no, listen, I again, we are just so barely scratching the surface here, uh, Steve. But uh, it's it's another it's shining a light on an aspect of of convention fandom. And, you know, it's 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 just important for me to help everybody today realize that this you know, the world was not created with things the way they are right now. Things evolved, things happened, things took... There were paths not taken and paths taken for everybody and everything. And, and Star Trek, the fandom, and the fandom interacting with the professional world and back and forth and all that. It's just, it's just an amazing story, and I'm glad we've given a little bit of voice here to your end of it and, and gotten some of these documents out. More things are being archived all the time. Um, I just, I'm just going to put in a pitch here because I can't talk about your comedy single, If We. You can't say If We. It has to be If We. If We. And that's, the, yeah, that's the, and I think that gets, sometimes that, that needs to be digitized and out there. But, the, you know, a lot of things should be out there. Uh, but hopefully someday we'll have If We out there for people to, even if it's a YouTube with the, you know, stills behind it or something. But I, um. I, I hope that. so. What's what's going on now? I know you uh, you uh, were part of uh, Adam Nimoy's documentary here just a couple years ago for the love of Spock at the Garden State Film Festival. You did a panel. Yeah, I was very yeah, I was very flattered that yeah. they, they asked me to, to host it, which was the first official East Coast showing of the film after Adam had uh, finished it, and it was uh, I didn't get a chance to speak with him, but of course in the panel I was able to reference meeting his dad, working with his dad on the film at the conventions, and. Uh, 
I can't tell you how how cool it was. And I didn't think about it because I was more concerned about acting. I got to see Leonard Nimoy dressed like Spock in person. Not everybody got to do that. So I've been blessed. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've been blessed by having you with us today, Steve. So thank you again for dropping by and uh, shedding some, you know, first-person experiences here from that great golden era of fandom that people love to wax eloquent about. But, you know, it's like I say, texture, not trivia. There's always, <laughs> there's always a lot of nooks and crannies to anything. And uh, thanks for sharing all that with us. And, and good luck. And, uh, and we'll talk soon again, hopefully. You as well. Good luck to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Steve. The Trek Files is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Hey, all of our documents and your chance to comment, please do, are available at facebook.com slash the Trek Files. Now, for more deep diving of Star Trek behind the scenes, visit Dr. Trek, that's me, and Portal 47 at larrynimichek.com. Oh, and hey, if you heard, check out all of our new Trek Files swag and shirts at the Trekland shop at tpublic.com slash stores slash trekland hyphen shop. Trek well, everybody. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.